She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. I hadn't been planning on doing the shamanic dieta, which um, we'll talk about later, Yeah. until I showed up and they were like, hey, we had some people cancel on the, the shamanic dieta, do you want to do it? And I was didn't even really know, and, but I was hanging out with some people as we we're leaving Akitos for the camp and they're like, do it, do it, do it. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Retreat with... You know, lots of realizations, some healing, uh, family uh, healing stuff and relational healing stuff. Shit a lot. Lots of pooping. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I was not a puker. I was a pooper. Um, I'm here. That's me. <laughs> Wait a second. If we just offer two of these retreats a month, we will get six to ten people <laughs> rather than two or three people. Maybe if you had a few more days off a week, you, you guys would have figured that out faster. <laughs> well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> That is a sign of an excited Alistair because we have such a great conversation in the bag for you today. You are going to really enjoy this one. Make a cup of tea, just go sit down, sit back, relax. Today we're talking to Zach Poitra. He's our friend and our ayahuasca shaman, although he doesn't like that label. Um, You'll learn why later. Yes. And today we're we're exploring his story, how he got to do this work. He shares some of the ways that he trained, which involves doing a lot of ayahuasca. Mind-boggling. A lot of ayahuasca. <laughs> we talk about the spirit and the ways ayahuasca works with us. We also talk about the role of the facilitator and how he views his job, because that is his job. It still boggles my mind. On this episode, you will hear us talk about shamanic dietas and ikaros. We will talk about those two things in much more depth next week on part two of our conversation with Zach, because we just couldn't fit everything in one episode. Yeah, this first episode will give you an intro to (laughs) Zach, the man, and the work that he does. And later on, we'll go a little bit deeper on some of the other aspects of the work related to ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in hearing more from Zach, at the end of this conversation, feel free to go over to patreon.com slash the far out couple because we have a 35 minute bonus conversation on top of this about the legalities and the how to some of the logistics about this stuff so if that is something you're curious about i I know i am yeah sign me up (laughs) i'd like to hear that conversation (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get into it let's get into it Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, Alistair, good morning, and hello, everyone else. Hi out there. <laughs> You're having a great hair day. 
really love every what you're once doing in today. a while. Every once yeah. in a while. Yeah. <laughs> today we have a treat. We have our friend Zach Poitra on the podcast with us, and it's an honor to have him here. Zach is a maestro ayahuasquero. He's also a maestro palero, and what this means is that he studied in a lineage uh, working with the plant medicine ayahuasca, and also in a lineage that works with trees. Him and his wife, who, if you listen to the podcast, you'll know uh, Jess Poitra, we had her on a couple of weeks ago, lead retreats with ayahuasca, as well as with combo. And they also do shamanic dieta retreats. Uh, so they think of themselves as facilitators and quite impressive ones at that. Zach has a whopping 1,500 plus ceremonies under his belt. Impressive. This guy's serious. <laughs> We're excited. And without further ado, Zach, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited for you to be here. We met you back in February, I yeah, think, yeah. and we've worked with you in Ayahuasca since. Uh -huh. And I think we're both really curious for you to kind of rewind the tape a little bit and tell us how did you get to do what you do now? Uh, What's your backstory? Backstory. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll start with, and a lot of people are shocked to hear this. But I was a businessman, essentially straight out of college back. And I'm older than you guys. <laughs> I, gradu I graduated in 92 from college. so And pretty much uh, went into first international business and then finance. So I, I worked in finance. I was an institutional stockbroker for 10 years. Wow. <clears throat> and um, while I was not wildly successful, I was kind of mid-pack successful. I, I don't think I really... Cared enough to, to uh, cared enough about money. I enjoyed it. Certainly enjoyed it. And that was one of the conundrums I had was, um, hey, I've got everything that the uh, you know materialist world says you need to be happy, and I was not. I was definitely not happy, and probably depressed. I, I would say I just I just never went to a therapist to get diagnosed as such. Uh, I was self-medicating with, uh, my drug of choice was marijuana and alcohol and the occasional uh, MDMA thing mm -hmm. going on, which was fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, let's be honest. It's, it's aptly named. Uh, ecstasy is is perfect name for it. Yeah. Oh, wow. it sounds a lot like my background. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, finance. finance and the same kind of, the yeah. same self-medication <laughs> regimen. So, yeah. 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 And the same depression, only uh, it was very obvious. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 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 I think that's actually one of the reasons why I was kind of attracted to you and your story because it was very similar. Uh -huh. I've been down in Peru and I've done a retreat there with with a Quechuan tribe out of just out of Peru. Uh -huh. And one of the things that's I, I was very interesting is that you are American and yeah. so is Jess. Yeah. And you both, and now I know from experience, do an incredible job bridging those two worlds of yeah. the jungle down there uh -huh. and uh and the more kind of american spirituality and that's been that's been a lot of very interesting experience yeah i mean that's and, and to be clear our and we're gonna i understand later in in our maybe the next podcast talk about lineage a bit more mm -hmm. um, but our lineage is also mestizo mestizo means that it's it's not an indigenous lineage it's it's um it's peruvian but the peru there's a population of what they call mestizos that is people who have kind of taken up more of a 
somewhat more of a Western lifestyle. They're still living in the jungle. They're still Mm -hmm. very much uh, uh, living hand-to-mouth in the jungle, farming, fishing, that sort of thing. However, they live in villages uh, that have what we'd call... I would call shacks, but more Western, yeah. <laughs> more Western looking. They, um, they wear Western clothes. They speak Spanish. They don't speak the indigenous language. They're kind of mixed with some of the Western culture. And mm. so the mestizo culture is a definitive culture unto itself, has a bunch of, has a significant amount of shamanism or curandismo going on uh, in history. So uh, very rich. And so that's even, uh, you know, that's easier for us as Westerners oftentimes to connect mm. with as well. So, yes, we hear that a lot. Uh, we, we do our best. We bring in, we keep the foundations of the ceremonies and the dietas that come from our lineage. And then we do bring in some aspects that are, uh, you know, particularly Eastern uh, in nature. And then we see a huge value in psychotherapy. Mm. You know, in the in the teachings that we uh, that one say young and, and so forth mm. um, that are definitely applicable to this work. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect fit uh, for, for me, and I think it's actually funny because my first experience and only experience before I met you with ayahuasca was, I think it was in 2014, and after that it was extraordinarily powerful and it set me off on a journey. And I knew I was going to come back to it, but I knew it was not the right time. And I knew that when I did come back to it, I would need to find a teacher or a shaman or a facilitator or whatever you want to call it that I really trusted because I saw the power in it. But I also saw the danger in it, especially the kind of ayahuasca tourism that happens in in Peru and that I kind of got just lucky (laughs) and avoided. And so... I find it kind of funny that I wasn't really planning on it, but we, when we came to Guatemala, we saw your, your site and things just clicked immediately, your story. And then we met you and we're just kind of blown away. And, uh, and you even have a very similar personal history and a very similar set of interests as far as spirituality. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of amazing that ayahuasca had me wait that long until there was basically like a very, very good match. Yeah. Um, but maybe getting, I, th- I think we I took took us off the path a little bit. <laughs> we were talking about your story. Yeah. And so I'd like to get back to that sure. and ask you, what was like the turning point? Because it's a really radical move. I mean, how, you were, what, 40 when you made the decision to kind of leave the West yeah. for a while? Yeah, exactly. So did something happen? Um, as a, Okay, so... I'd kind of gone on a searching journey and, and got into like weekend work, NLP workshops and stuff like that that didn't really stick, so to speak. There was one I did go on to a Vipassana retreat, a 10-day Vipassana retreat, mm-hmm. which was big. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and after, sometime after that Vipassana retreat, I was fine. I, I'd known about ayahuasca. I'd read about it in the National Geographic um, Adventure magazine, I think. And had been wanting to go, but things, you know, just like you're saying, it's you, we talk about ayahuasca as facilitating our attendance to drink ayahuasca. And mm-hmm. we oftentimes might have a intention, desire, what have you, and things just don't line up. But when they line up, it's like, whoa, this is fucking nuts how easy and quick this just happened. So that's kind of what happened, essentially what happened to me. Went down to Peru, did a, I think it was a, 
eight or nine day retreat with five Oof. ceremonies and a dieta. And I hadn't been planning on doing the shamanic dieta, which um, we'll talk about later. Yeah. Until I showed up and they're like, hey, we had some people cancel on the, the shamanic dieta. Do you want to do it? And I was didn't even really know. And But I was hanging out with some people as we're leaving Akitos for the camp. And they're like, do it, do it, do it. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, my first round uh, with Iowa, my first retreat with ayahuasca, uh, it was a combination of shamanic dieta and ayahuasca. And I you know, didn't know the difference. And I did, you know, all, all these things. And so I went through that retreat, had uh, the first night, pretty much nothing. And mm-hmm. I was pissed off because it was one of the most expensive retreats in Peru. Uh, <laughs> you know, get right? me my money's worth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, which is, I found out later, and we talk about in orientation and stuff, it, for the first time, it can happen. And uh, that said, uh, second night onward was just like, wow, um, mm. blew, blew the doors off and had a wonderful, challenging, wonderful retreat with you know lots of realizations some healing uh, family uh, healing stuff and relational healing stuff shit a lot lots of pooping <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I was not a puker i was a pooper um, i'm here that's me <laughs> it's, it's a bit inconvenient i'd rather getting up to go to the bathroom it is yeah it's not great yeah and you know, leaving, I, I was lucky enough to have some time and spend more time in Peru, Machu Picchu, and all that sort of thing. Because um, at that point, you had like quit your job. And you were no, I, I, I was still working in finance. I'd quit my job as an institutional stockbroker and was essentially a financial advisor for okay. Allstate Insurance. Okay, um, which means you're self-employed essentially, and so I could do that. Yeah, that was got like, it. No one, no one was in my way, and. Went back to the States and subsequently got back into working for an investment bank. And it was the hard, it was probably the worst time to look for a job in investment banking or institutional uh, research in finance. It was right after, you know, it was the year after the 2008 crisis. So, mm. no, at that time, no one was supposedly hiring. Yeah. And bam, I got a job mm. right away. And I, backing up a little bit, I did not think I would go back to, to Peru anytime soon just because of time. And it was a bit expensive. Six months later, a friend of mine sent me a message saying, hey, I'm going to go down to Peru, the same same retreat center. And I was like, shit, I I want to go. And I just started this new job. And I thought mm-hmm. that, you know, that because of that, it, it would be a hard ask. But my within 48 hours, my I got approval. My boss was like, absolutely. He loved the work that I was doing. He's like, go for it. And yeah. had it all set up. And it just everything, bam, 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 in, in place. Um, it was that retreat. It went down to a very almost the same format retreat, if not the same. And again, amazing. And it was at that point, I was like, you know, I really want ayahuasca to be something significant in my life. I, you know, I got to figure out. And I looked around uh, on the, my return, looked around a bit. There, there's some underground stuff going on up in the Northwest. And that said, wasn't really satisfied with it. Just didn't seem consistent enough. And funny enough, I got a couple of big deals that came through, investment banking deals that came through, commissions from that. And I was like, you know, suddenly sitting on not a huge amount of money because I was very good at spending money. Um, (laughs) Ecstasy will do that. (laughs) My previous self-medication. 
I wasn't an ecstasy addict. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but uh, I like nice things. Um, I was like, hey, you know, shit, I can, I can quit my job and go and hang out in Peru and, and do a bunch of medicine. And that was the idea. It was not to actually learn how to be a facilitator. It was rather, I've got a lot of shit to work on. Let me go down and just camp out in Peru, save money on going back and forth, and just do a shit ton of personal work. I gave myself, I think it was six months, and I would just come home and figure something else out. I always have, and, and proof positive I'm still alive here today. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I got down there, moved to this uh, really small village called Genero Herrera, which is is actually well-known for its uh, curanderos or shamans, ayahuasca shamans. And, yeah, I met this group of shamans and it was awesome because while it was not in a retreat format at all you were we were i was very much on my own there were a couple other gringos in in the village who were doing the same thing i was doing but there was unless you were interested in going exploring in the jungle and and doing that kind of thing there was nothing else to do except for ayahuasca ceremonies and dietas. <laughs> and, you know, generally not, you know, d- depending on when the, the teachers were available, generally we were doing three or four ayahuasca ceremonies a week. And we were doing dieta. I would say I would do a dieta, take a week off, maybe two weeks off, do another dieta, just over and over. And that's all there was to do. Mm. And we, I was loving it. You know, yeah. it was it was amazing. And as part of this group of shamans that were, it's funny, drinking in the living room of the head shaman's house. So the village had electricity until about nine or 10 o'clock. His living room would be full of family members watching soap operas until nine or 10 o'clock. Lights go out, everything quiets down in the village. We set up ceremony and have ceremony until, you know, four or five in the the morning. And and then um, they would get up and go out in the fields and work. We would, the gringos, we would go back to our hostel and and just, you know, sleep all day. (laughs) And then, you know, hopefully, you know, either do it again the next night or do it, uh, you know, just keep doing that cycle over and over again. Um, I've heard you refer to this time as the ayahuasca bums. Yes, yes. I, we coined, I coined the term ayahuasca bums. Like it, it was like a surf, you know, surf bums find a, a secret surf break. Yeah. And it's cheap out of the way. <laughs> and they just surf all the time. And, and we did the same thing with ayahuasca. It was, just, you know, it was really, uh, really quite fun. You know, no responsibilities whatsoever. Um, Do you think those pockets are still available for people that are interested in like kind of searching them out? Sure. I mean, it's it's hard to find good curanderos. Mm-hmm. The, um, this is something, I had a, a friend who was also wanting to study ayahuasca, but couldn't find a teacher that he really wanted to work with. Um, we just got lucky. Like I got very lucky. Mm-hmm. And there are still some issues. Yes. I don't know if you want to dive into that, but there's my friend's problem is every every teacher that he would come across turned out to be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And my lineage has a similar problem. Mm-hmm. Although I think less 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 uh, less of an impact. In the end, it wasn't a huge impact for me and my teacher. That's a gigantic conversation. There, there are reasons why. Yeah. And it's really important 
for people to understand that curanderos, just like if you look at a doctor, a doctor or a surgeon can be an amazing surgeon and he can be a coke addict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He can still do it. Yeah. He just happens to be a coke addict or addicted to pain medicine. Um, same thing with with uh, curanderos or shamans. Um, we see this particularly because of the cultural issues around indigenous or, in this case, mestizo uh, history. You know, I see this. I grew up on the Rosebud Indian Reservation for a part of my childhood up, up in North America and South Dakota. And medicine men there have a hard time, with, oftentimes have a hard time with alcohol. Not, yeah. not always, but it, it, we see this consistently. Uh, Seems in, to be the case in Zen, too, with Zen teachers a lot uh, of times. Like, I've seen that, too. I've not personally seen that, but yeah. you get kind of whiffs of it uh, with, with, with kind of some of the Zen teachers, uh, alcoholism thing. I don't huh. know what that's about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, gigantic conversation probably beyond I, the purview of this this one yeah um, i think I, I i'll make a note of that we'll we'll talk about it on next week's episode sure and i'm not a i'm not an anthropologist but i have some ideas as to why yeah. that happened oh, that's really really interesting yeah. so, so you end up spending what four and a half years in the jungle instead of six months <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay back to this part um, back to the program the regular scheduled program um yeah so about four months in i i met my teacher gumersin nugalindo and 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 his father, Don Roldan, and his mother, uh, Hertrudis, um, all of which I considered teachers, but Gome being my main one, as part of this group that we were drinking in the living room of another shaman. We became friends. He, he's a younger maestro. He was younger than I am. He's like, five, I want to say five years younger than I am. But again, I'm, I was 40 when I was down there, so he was 35. And he, yeah, we became good good friends, and he had gotten this job with an American woman who had built a camp down there, and she brought about 10 gringos down, and it was from the States, and it was his first gringo retreat job mm. uh, because mm. he had largely been doing work with uh, locals, uh, either from the village or clo villages close by. He actually had a good reputation and it was getting out there among the locals. And then every once in a while, a gringo would show up and, you know, he would do ceremonies and just for them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, a gringo or a couple of gringos. But he had, you know, that's the thing. Is a lot of these shamans, or, I don't know what the case is now because um, Peru's changed a bit. But shamans just don't have any way to contact people, you know, Westerners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They usually need, they could learn, but in most cases, they don't have a lot of, Technolo technological uh, sa uh, savvy. Yeah. Um, in fact, and this was 10 years ago, but I had to teach Gumi how to use the ATM. It was, it was at that time, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a mystery. I, I imagine that might be changing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so went through that retreat and Gumi, during that retreat. Um, so with the American woman? Yeah, the, she was at her camp and she made some gigantic errors and, and um, ended up leaving mid-retreat, which was weird. Um, but uh, during that retreat, Gome pulled me aside and he said, hey, Zach, I had a dream last night. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we were in a place like this, like this camp, but not this place. And we were serving thousands of gringos medicine. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> because if you remember my plan, it was not to learn to become a facilitator. It was, yeah. uh, so I kind of walked away from the conversation with my head spin. Mm. And that night we had ceremony, uh, ayahuasca ceremony, and I asked ayahuasca, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and is this my teacher? And it was a very, very clear yes and yes. Mm. Um, and so after ceremony, I talked with him and his father about working together, uh, building the camp, and everything was esta bien, esta bien, which is like, it's good, it's good, um, let's do it. And then, you know, built a camp uh, and stayed, ended up staying down there for four and a half years uh, straight. Really intense front end. Uh, it was intense the whole time. I mean, you know, I always, I hope it's not too bright. I just want to give some perspective on training yeah we it's really anybody everyone out there who's listening please if you're gonna drink ayahuasca with somebody please make sure that they've done a significant amount of training it is really important and and dangerous to do otherwise and we need to be careful when you talk to your your facilitator there's some tricks that, that people play mm. in terms of they tend to inflate their experience yes so I was down there for four and a half years. If I were to say, there's a difference between me saying, I was down studying with my teacher 100% of the time for four and a half years. That's different than me saying, I have studied the medicine for four and a half years. Mm. Because if I say that, one needs to dig in a little bit more. Okay, so you were with your teacher for four and a half years doing dietas and ceremonies over and over and over again? Or did you go down on retreat two times a year for four and a half years. Yes. Yeah. That's very, very different. Yes. Yeah. And I've had people pull that, you know, where a guy said, oh, I've been studying medicine for nine years. And I, and I was like, oh, so you've been moved to Peru? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> you went back and forth? Yeah. How many times a year? Oh, maybe two to four. And for how long each time? Oh, about a week, maybe two weeks. Mm. So suddenly yeah, that experience right. gets slow, smaller and smaller. And that's that's something, it's just human nature to try to do that. Just <clears> sounds <throat> better. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> Everyone wants to look good. It's a better it. story. Yeah. Yeah. What is four and a half years of being down there studying with your teacher look like as far as ceremonies and dietas? How much did you clock? Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the crazy part. So when I first particularly, so I, I told you when we were just hanging out in the, in the village, we we're doing three or four times on average a week plus uh, one to two dietas a month. Then we built the camp. <laughs> and I didn't know, I didn't have a full understanding of how to set up retreats. I mean, I understood how a retreat was run. But in terms of offering retreats, we did the following. We weren't well-known. So what we did was we were just like, okay, well, if you want to come work with us, show up on Monday. And we'll have you from Monday until Sunday. And what would happen is they would show up. We'd start first, first day ceremony. Wow. Get up the next morning. And we'd be doing a, a shamanic dieta. Mm. It was required. We, we would not let anyone come just drink ayahuasca. Okay. It was required. And um, so they'd have their first ceremony, get up the next morning. Hey, do you want to do ceremony again? And more often than not, it'd be like, yeah. Next morning, ceremony again. So over the seven nights, was it seven nights or six nights? 
whatever. Oftentimes, we'd be drinking every single fucking night. Wow. Mm. Then we'd drop them off at the, uh, at the dock to take their boat back mm. to Iquitos, have a night of rest, and do it again. We did that for at least, I want to say, four months, if not six months. Oh, my God. And it was very, very intense, but it was good because when no one knew us, we would have two or three people show up, mm. four or five. And it slowly builds, slowly build. And we were getting all kinds of experience. Not only, I mean, my teacher already had a lot of experience, but it was, uh, you know, just this figuring out how to do, uh, to run a retreat getting a lot of ceremony experience, and dieting constantly. So yeah, because that means you were dieting four times a month? Because you yeah. were dieting with everyone else. Yeah. And, I, and in case the listener doesn't understand what dieting is, we'll talk about it next week. And we'll, we've also talked about it on our previous episodes in this series. But it's a very strict regimen of uh, what you can eat and mainly what you can't eat. Yeah. And then you also work with a particular plant. There's other restrictions as well. You can't work, can't can't be in touch with the outside world, really. Um, we'll go into more detail about it later, but it dials up the intensity yeah. of, of working with ayahuasca quite a bit. Yeah, and it's foundational if you're studying the medicine, particularly in Peru. Um, it's foundational to... Uh, the the path mm -hmm. for the, in fact they if you want to study ayahuasca or plant medicine they say dieta 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 they don't say ayahuasca 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 yes so yeah did that for at least four months if not six I can't I don't remember exactly when we switched to hey. then we <clears throat> then we went to like oh wait a second if we just offer two of these retreats a month we will get six to ten people <laughs> <laughs> rather than two or three people. I mean, if you had a few more days off a week, you, you guys would have figured that out faster. faster. <laughs> Maybe. But it, even then, though, we would have the retreats, and then even the downtime, we were still drinking three to, yeah. uh, three to four times a week because we just, there's nothing else. Yeah. When we loved it, there's nothing else to do. And yeah, and so it just continued at that clip for four and a half years. I think the the part of that that boggles the mind for me is it basically means that you were in the medicine for four and a half years. Because I mean, yeah. I you, you you don't even have time to get out of it really. Yeah. Because when you take a day off, it's obvious when you wake up. When I wake up the following following a, a session, or yeah. when we were on retreat I'm with you for an entire right week, in. it's just yeah, here. Today is we we ended on. Monday? We ended on this Monday Sunday, and this, this is, is Thursday. Thursday. I'm still feeling yeah. connected. I'm not like, yeah. tripping balls. But, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but it's a different, you definitely feel different. And, yeah. uh, I'm just thinking, wow, four and a half years in this really special headspace yeah. and spiritual space like that has to rearrange your brain in a really potent way. Yeah. Although I wouldn't, I, I would be careful to say that it doesn't, it's not the enlightenment kind of space. It's definitely in a, a plant medicine will do a significant amount of work with you. Mm -hmm. um, but there's some shadow stuff that it's, that's yes. where therapy is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Cause why do they call it shadow stuff? Cause it's hidden. And part of the medicine work. Yeah. She'll go for some shadow stuff, but there's like particular. Uh, let's take alcoholism for an example. If 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 you don't think alcoholism's a problem, mm. 
and you're not wanting to work with that as an issue, the chances of ayahuasca helping you work through that is really slim. Yes. Mm. Um, She, you know, she can bring it to the surface for you to look at, but then it's up to you to, to, to follow through. This reminds me of a saying that was given to us on my first retreat, which resonated for me and I found to be fairly true for my experience, which was ayahuasca can meet you 50% of the way. Yeah. And that's about all she can do. Yeah. And you all, you have to carry that other 50%. And I found that really helpful going into it. I mean, it's, it wasn't a cure all or anything. And actually in retrospect, the ayahuasca retreat, as hard as it was, and they were serious about it, but we had noble silence. We did fasting. Um, it was it was sincere, but that work, which was hard, was a lot easier than integrating the two day experience. Which I feel like the recent two day experience. No, uh, this was back in 2014. Okay, uh-huh. like integrating the experience I had around ayahuasca. I would say it took me about five. I mean, I think I'm still working on it. Yeah. The the visions that it gave me, uh, but it instructed me in ways and I had to learn how to act on that in my regular life. Right. And that's kind of like the, the return, the hero's return. And I find that to be the hardest and most critical part of, of some of the work is returning. And I do think in the West, there is a tendency to think that you can just go do that work, that medicine, drink it, have the ceremony, and then it's done. The yep. work is done and you're cleared yep. and you don't have, and, and, and it's so, and that, yeah, that it's that easy fix. Right. And I love that you and Jess really don't have that approach. No. Well, it would be a false approach. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. But can you talk a bit about like that? integration part and how like ayahuasca is just really one piece of that spiritual work yeah yeah we've talked about how integration is is everything really i mean the 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 peak states that we have the lessons that we learn in ayahuasca are just that it's like you can go to school let's say you go to a trade school and you learn how to use a uh, (laughs) skill saw (laughs) you know and okay you've learned the right way to do it you can still fuck it up. You can still take that skill saw and, and it's up to you. You have free, this is free will, right? Yeah. And so same thing goes with ayahuasca. Those, those peak experiences, uh, challenging or ecstatic, however you want to, uh, uh, whatever the experience may be or the lessons learned, it's up to you to, to implement them. And, and in terms of integration, we always, it's like, well, what's the best way to integrate? It's like, well, that's another thing for you to figure out. <laughs> um, in, gen- in general, it's um, you know setting aside time and space to contemplate and reflect on that experience you had in ceremony or over several ceremonies, and that's going to look different for everyone. And it's kind of a cool opportunity to explore some daily practices. Um, some people just are not ready. I don't want to say wired because I don't agree with that statement, but I, I think a lot of people, uh, particularly in the West, are not ready to do have a sitting meditation practice. So, okay, can you go out and just quietly spend some time hanging out in nature, contemplating, just remembering your experience? Can you go to a float 
tank. Um, floating's a great integration tool. Can you, you know, mantra is kind of one of those meditative practices that doesn't require, uh, or is, is kind of using the mantra as, I don't want to say crutch, but it's a tool. Mm-hmm. Physical yoga, less so, depends on the yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're talking like Baptiste power yoga, I would say that it's probably not the most the best integration tool it's better than nothing <laughs> but you know there's some there's some like there's some yogas that are much more intentionally focused on the divine or you know connecting in with the body itself really you know more meditative than than the overtly physical stuff tai chi qigong uh, where you're moving energy around and mm. all this sort of thing just opens one one up to the nonlinear non-rational mm. remembrance that is ineffable Mm-hmm. Right. You, we can sit here. Yes, it's valuable to say, oh, yeah, ayahuasca told me to do X, Y and Z to be nicer to my wife and blah, blah, blah. There's this other level that she's working at that is an ineffable. Mm-hmm. And, and if it means I can't talk about it, but it's there is it's this it's the and then being open to uh, those practice or those practices help open or open back up to that. That I would say interconnectedness with everything that is. Uh, this heartfelt, uh, heart-based uh, interact or yeah, relation. Yeah, I think in the West, particularly, we all like to have a good psychedelic trip story. Yeah, you know? and and you yeah. come out and you're like, all right, what was the story? Did you see dragons? Yeah. Were they eating cows? Like, what was <laughs> happening? You know, and I actually found this on this one. It's like, you know, I don't have that good trip story. I, the things part, definitely happened and there were plenty of visions and all that mm. stuff. Um, and I did some kind of shadow child, inner child work and these things, but it doesn't really, I really actually found I didn't have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot more, it, it, like you said, kind of unspeakable. Yeah. It was the experience of it. It yeah. was going through it and then, and then kind of cultivating the connection that I had coming out of it and the different qualities, the strength, the fortitude, the the stillness, these things. And there was there's not much to talk about with that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you both. How many trip stories have you heard, whether it be ayahuasca or otherwise? <laughs> Hundreds? From like people oh, yeah. telling me yeah. stories? Yeah. I mean, oh. I, I was... Uh, just as an ad, just this is a simple People question. came to me back in college for for their for their trips at times so i definitely heard a lot hundreds okay so aside from trying to help them out how many were actually interesting not that many because (laughs) it's their experience right it it had no meaning for me right and all this stuff is just you know it it's only useful if you can apply it somehow or if you can make some sort of connections and a lot of times it, it may, maybe it's still useful. Maybe I, I'll take that back. I think it can still be useful even if you do not know what the meaning is, if you meditate on it, contemplate right. it, or whatever. Exactly. But that's my stuff. Right. And actually, it can be very revealing to tell people. Well, it's like telling people your dreams, you know? It's yeah. like some, you know, people can tell you that stuff. You're like, you should be careful about who you tell mm. because for the right person, that can reveal way more than you think. think yeah. Well, yeah, I guess my point is, is that. That, and I, want, I want to be very clear that we have these integration circles after yes. each ceremony, and it's super important to have that time and space to relay your story. And in most cases, in a casual environment, when we share our 
trip stories, whether it be LSD or ayahuasca or mm. what have you, they're totally useless egoic ego trips. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had this cool thing. Yeah, was, man, I wanted to tell about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so I think part of what you may and I don't want to interpret your experience, which is something we try not to do, but we ask like, hey, maybe does it feel right that part of the reason you, you don't have much to say about this last time is you realize that it's not that relevant to anyone else. Mm. Yeah. And mm. it doesn't, you know, it's, it's nicer. It's almost nicer to kind of keep it. Yeah. And I find that those, even when I'm, I am able to put words, it never actually does any justice to what happened. Mm. And then it saying it, I want, I love, I found that I, most ceremonies have done so far. I love that space after ceremony, before going to bed where Alistair and I can share what's going on. Like, I love that space because we're definitely still in the medicine and it's beautiful to continue to unpack and with words, yeah. it's a different layer than when you're on your own and you're experiencing it. Yeah, it's kind of a continuation of ceremony in yes. a lot of ways yeah. for us. And just the fact that like, we're continuing to explore things that came up and yeah. opens new doors. But at the same time, as, as soon as I'm out of that space, and talking to someone who doesn't even know the space I'm talking about, who yeah. has never been in those states, it's like it, it removes the meaning yeah. the, and the importance behind it almost. You know, it's like, wow, I had this really powerful experience where I went through this journey and words don't do it justice. And then and then I see it in people's eyes that it's like they don't get it. They don't get it. Yeah. And it makes it sad for me it's like it was so powerful and you don't get it you know so i i've i feel like i never really want to share the details of the story yeah. of what happened because it doesn't yeah. make sense but the realizations the lessons yes those those can be and they're often you know i think the last share that that we had together i'm talking about me this time is <laughs> uh, like Oh, my realization—they're nothing new. Yeah, yeah. they're not the, this, this idea that or this concept that came through is nothing new. I knew it intellectually, but the difference in ayahuasca. And this is the amazing thing about ayahuasca is that you get to do this direct experience of these these teachings that we that we've heard from all these spiritual teachers directly mm-hmm. versus just an intellectual. Uh, experience that we understand going probably understand going in love everybody you know just, yes 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 <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah i can understand and this everything. is where i find that the words take out the the deep meaning to mm. it because you say these things and it's like ah, oh, they've been said so much yeah. but i was experiencing it yeah. you know it's very different to say you know i think the answer to everything is just to love that sounds ridiculous and yeah. that sounds shallow. Yeah. It's like a platitude, but then it's when you're a way to in dismiss. it, <laughs> yeah, and but when you're in it, it's it can be overwhelming and there like the intensity of the experience of wow, that is what it feels like to love everything. Yeah. You can't the words are not designed for conveying exactly. that. It, it also takes away the inc- I don't know, it feels like kind of incremental or gradual. It's like you have those experiences and they help me embody them more in my life. Exactly. And that's a practice mm-hmm. rather than when you say it as an intellectual thought, it's like I think of a theory and it's like you only have to discover a theory once. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the theory's there. But it's not permanent that way. You can't, I can't say oh, all you have to do is love. Like that doesn't solve the problem of loving in every moment. Right? Yes. But ayahuasca helps you have that experience and it seems to help me 
let, and this seems to go back to integration, which yeah. is it seems to help me bring more of that into my daily experience. Right. And one thing you said about uh, integration that I find interesting is just there's this kind of window yeah. after ayahuasca. <clears throat> and yeah. you, you say it's about two weeks where you're ripe to start yeah. a new practice or yeah. to pick up an old one. Yep, definitely. And I would, in this, I would say, put a caveat on that. Two weeks if you are, if you've done a series mm-hmm. of, of like, two to three or four or five ceremonies in a short period of time doing a one-off we don't we don't like to do one-off oh that's not totally for new people who do not have an experience of three or more ceremonies in a short period of time we don't like to do one-off ceremonies can you talk about that a little bit about why you work in series yeah uh well one is is that each ayahuasca is unique uh to other substances in the sense that every time you drink it Every incremental time you drink it, you're much more sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. You have kind of a reverse tolerance uh, or a stable tolerance. Whereas, you know, like peyote or San Pedro or fungus, the, you take it one day. If you want to do it again, the next day you're going to take a lot more or a fair amount more to get mm-hmm. the similar similar level mm-hmm. of, of uh, effects. So what that means is that you're you're going deeper and deeper and deeper. You're there are also, you know, um, there's this con- very s- strong concept and actually probably the, one of the main points of ayahuasca is to clean yourself out, purify yourself. And what we're talking about is these things we're holding on to, these anger, the anger, fear, resentments, mm-hmm. what have you, these things that we hold in our bodies, whether we realize it or not. She goes through and, and opens those those energetic channels up and cleans them, and this is part of why you hear about people purging a lot. Anyway, as you do subsequent multiple nights, you get cleaner and cleaner mm. and you get uh, you know ayahuasca wants us to have a direct relationship with her. And anything that we're holding on to particularly of a negative sense, emotions or or traumas and so forth, that's blocking. That's uh, that's blocking ayahuasca and so she's bringing those up to the surface to be released. Mm. And that, as great as that sounds, I want to release all my problems. As that's happening, we're oftentimes experiencing an aspect of what is being released. We have to. We have to face our quote-unquote karma. And if we only do one ceremony, a couple of things can happen. One is nothing, which was my first ceremony. Yeah. Uh, and, and about 10% of the population is, is nothing. Doesn't mean it, it, ayahuasca is working, but she's she's just clearing some stuff up uh, that is out of the, your system that is subperceptual. So if you walk away from that one ceremony with nothing happening, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, I, this is I don't know what people are so excited about with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. This is this is bullshit. Uh, the other thing is that ayahuasca can give you a beautiful, easy, lovely experience that's lots of fun, and you walk away from that. Uh, saying, oh, ayahuasca is this easy, beautiful thing, which it can be, um, but that's not the full picture. Mm-hmm. If you have one ceremony and you're puking your guts out and demons are everywhere and, oh, my God, you know, just freaking out, yeah. um, that's what we call a cleaning night. That's that's actually all all your stuff. You know, the, all your traumas, all your uh, things that you've done to your body physically, all these things are coming to the surface and you get to look at it. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a, a full view. And and so we had a, a really astute 
guest in the jungle one time say, you know, we need to be really careful about what we say in regards to ayahuasca because if there's anything negative in the ayahuasca experience, it's not ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. It's you. Because ayahuasca is just trying to get that shit out so yes. that she can have a direct experience to teach you things like love. Yeah. Ex- direct experience love. Direct mm. experience stillness, peace, joy, ecstasy. And it's a lot like a meditation practice. When you sit down to meditate and... Maybe because this might be a little bit more accessible to, to, to people, but like you sit down to, to meditate and you know that this is the path a lot of people have taken to experience these higher states, yeah. right? But usually when you, if you, like when, when I did my first Vipassana retreat, for sure, which is a 10-day meditation retreat, there's a lot of shit in the way to having anything like a transcendental experience. Yeah. Uh, and you have to work through that because it's it's... That experience is available, and in some traditions, they say it's available now, right? Yeah. But you are blocked from it, and that stuff is your stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something similar going on with ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah. And those, frankly, the this uh, Ken Wilber, the states are not the point. Mm. Um, it, it's states. We want the states to turn into traits, mm. and so that. You know, the idea of being in the peak of an ayahuasca experience all the fucking time. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Unsustain- unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for that short period of time. But um, yeah, maybe it is sustainable. We just need to build our system up to what it, you know, yeah. whatever. But but that's not what we're, I don't, I think what, this is my opinion, but uh, the reason we do ayahuasca is not to, yes, the experience can be wonderful, intense, and notable, <laughs> but what we're really going for is to clean out this energetic and physical thing, we're a vehicle that we're walking around in, such that we can appreciate and connect with the people around us, the people we love the world around us and be kind and, and, and compassionate as best as we can. And we're still fucking human. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that I have resonated the most with out of your approach, you and, and Jess, the way you approach this work is during the first retreat, it was so First off, it was great to have four ceremonies because, mm-hmm. as you said, if I'd stopped after the first one, I think I have the type of personality that would have wanted to continue regardless. But my first experience was terror mm-hmm. and discomfort. And like there, there was a lot that was coming up out of my own experience. And it was just not a comfortable night at all. Yeah. And and I there was a lot of like needing to purge, but holding on to it mm. and not really being. So it's just a uncomfortable body state, which when you're in these really, I find that when I'm in these really heightened, like psychedelic state, the, if the body's uncomfortable, it's just, that's all I can feel. Mm. It's just everything is But I think one thing that I really loved was this profound sense from you and Jess that you 100% totally trust in this plant as a spiritual guide and a medicine. And I think this is so, this was so like mind boggling and shifting for me because I don't know, there's this tendency to look at 
substances like that and there's a, there's usually a fear or or they can be seen as bad because mm-hmm. you know they're going to make you vomit or these kind of things uh or you you know like with LZ you can have a bad trip and i think like you both were embodying this no ayahuasca is just pure love and mm-hmm. and and we 100% trust that what she's offering to you right now is what you need to go through mm-hmm. that really helped me throughout that retreat and so I kind of want to ask what, and and this is a two-part question, but what is ayahuasca on a physical level? Like, what is it? What is the plant? How do you make it and all these things? But then also, like, how do you think about it spiritually yourself? What's your relationship with it? Yeah, ayahuasca on the physical or chemical level, I guess is what you're asking. I'm not the best because I'm not a scientist because but there is a very basic thing going on and that is the ayahuasca vine has um, MAOIs which is a chemical or molecule I'm not even sure (laughs) that's how scientific I am Um, they uh, that allows the body to absorb the DMT through the gut Whereas normally DMT, uh, which is the visionary component or the overt visionary component, Mm -hmm. needs to be either smoked or done intravenously. And so putting the two together into a tea, which you take the ayahuasca vine and you take some sort of leaf that has some sort of DMT in it. There are a couple of different ones, Chakruna, Chalipanga, um, and I'm sure there are more. Those are the two main ones put them together and uh, they cook them, uh, reduce, cook a huge pot of plant material and water, plant material being, again, the ayahuasca and the chacruna leaf in our case, and they cook it down. Uh, so I would say 30 or maybe even 50 liter pot full of plant material it gets cooked down, cooked down, cooked down until you produce about two liters. Mm, okay. And that's, you know, that's what we end up drinking. There's some other admixture plants that, you know, tobacco, uh, we put in tree barks. And there's some admixtures that are, are dangerous. Uh, Datura, mm. also known as toe, is quite dangerous. But, yeah, so the basic idea behind ayahuasca from a chemical standpoint is that MAOIs allow the DMT to be accessible uh, through the gut. So there is no DMT in the ayahuasca vine. No, the ayahuasca uh, vine has MAOI, and then there's some harmalines in there. Mm-hmm. And there, you one can just drink straight ayahuasca vine, and you will get some sort of. It's not the same intense visionary experiences mm-hmm. with DMT, but that is a thing okay. uh, in some traditions. I'm curious why it's the spirit of ayahuasca that we experience, though. So you, but these leaves are the ones with these heavy like DMT exactly. molecules. So, can you talk about like what's going on there? Why do we never talk about the leaf leaves that, that we, much? Well, there's a few, yeah, we don't even have. Icaros specific I, in our tradition, we don't have any Icaros about or songs about the Chacruna. Mm-hmm. I've heard Chacruna mentioned in some other lineages songs, but yeah, I mean the ayahuasca really it has the strength. It's where the medicine is. Mm-hmm. It's like the the leaf is the light show, but the medicine's in the in the vine, the ayahuasca vine. I have like a metaphor that comes up, and sure. you can tell me if it's right or not. Hopefully it's it feels like <laughs> it feels like it would be then 
if you get sick and your mother gives you cough medicine, the cough medicine can be like the leaf, but your mother and the love of your mother giving it to you would be the medicine yeah. on a more kind of spiritual level. I don't know. That sounds sure. a little... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the cough medicine kind of... It, you know, the, the leaf, the light show doesn't offset the difficulty of mm. the medicine. So... so or maybe exploring it from a different angle, smoking DMT yeah. doesn't have the same healing effect. No. No, just no. more the light show. More the light show. Mm. In fact, I would... There, there's some people who will disagree with me, but I, yeah, I would... The DMT experience is so... Ineff- so just going from zero to a thousand miles an hour, coming back in such a short period of time, it's like, what the fuck? Something... Ju- that was weird. Yeah. yeah you know maybe beautiful but what do i do with that mm. yeah I, I, there are definitely people who will disagree with me but whereas ayahuasca is like no this is very much about my life my interaction with the world and you know, there's definitely it's just much deeper and richer in terms of uh a useful experience mm. and maybe this will draw you into the second part of julie roxanne's question because I've heard you talk about that too. It's like you, we're not trying to blast you off when when you serve when you serve us ayahuasca. You you kind of talk about it as we're trying to get you to the place where you can work on things in yeah. your life. So it's somewhere like, and that seems to be a, a power that particularly the potency of ayahuasca that that you serve has. It's like it doesn't. The the idea is not to take you completely out of this world right. it's kind of to be somewhere in between so you can kind of work with the plant while also working with yourself or right. maybe you can speak to that a little bit better well i mean yeah so again it's like what's the point of a transcendental experience unless you can relate that experience back to your daily life mm. right and the transcendental experience where you're taken out and and of the body and that sort of thing. I think that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Can be exceptionally healing and valuable, particularly if one has lost their connection with the divine God, right? And that we, in order to get there, and it's up to ayahuasca to make that connection. She, She has an amazing ability to look at everyone as an individual, Alistair, tonight, you need to puke your guts out <laughs> because you have all this physical stuff that needs to get out of the way that also has a connection to some emotional trauma. And in order for – with the ultimate um, goal of clearing those pathways such that you can have a connection to God, to the divine. Mm. I mean this is all spiritual work that ha- – addresses at the same time physical, emotional, and psychological issues. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, it's this, this idea of, in, in the way I look at it, and I think shamanism in general, is that to separate out physical healing or emotional healing or psychological healing from spirituality is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are all totally connected. Yeah. And we don't, you know, some people might feel, feel uncomfortable with the word God, Uncomfortable world divine. I'm comfortable with the word spirituality. And too bad. 
because because it, it is uh, we we could reframe or re describe the ineffable this totally ineffable word of God as or not word of God but the word God as being that thing that we are a part of and is everything. Mm. And so if we disconnect from that, we're not happy. Mm. Right? And so ayahuasca comes through and clears out the the, the channels, the hoses, the, the energy channels, the meridians, the nadis, however you want to call it, such that it's like, whoa, I'm sitting here right now and checking in with God. Mm. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. God. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Aspects of God, I should say. Yeah. Um, and because it, you know, that's the Jewish tradition, for example, would not have a word for God. They were like, that's a, you, can't, you can't call God anything. So they came up with Yahweh, but they were like, that's not really it either. Mm-hmm. Um, and you weren't supposed to say it <laughs> because you're not giving it justice. Mm-hmm. And so that's the connection that we're, we're, we're through ayahuasca, we're, we're working on uh, establishing. And that's why it's both spiritual and there's a healing component. Therapeutic. Therapeutic. Yeah. yeah. And so in our view, the way we approach it is it, it's, it's all the same. You know, it, it's all connected. Uh, one, so, for, for example, I'll, you know, if, if I have a, something that's bothering me in my life, when I go into ceremony, it will come up, get released in some manner or not. Sometimes it takes more than one ceremony. <laughs> but post that, then there's this like, <sighs> there it is. Mm. This is connecting with it's kind of, it's a non-dual, oftentimes not always, but oftentimes a non-dual, ineffable connection with divine God, what have you. And sometimes it involves even things like Jesus Christ. Mm. I always it's definitely forced me to use less the logical kind of or even like sometimes narrative kind of approach to describe it because it's so obvious like you're describing here that it's so interconnected in ways where it's hard to even I can't explain it I can't tell you that it's connected to that and that but there's it seems you know like you you have all these hunches and feelings and maybe you would say it's all it's all connected of course but it just feels very a lot of the experience is very right brain in a lot of in mm. a lot of ways where it's like there's clearly this stuff is all interrelated and is affecting each other if i had to explain that i would do a lousy job at it mm-hmm. um and 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 a lot of times i don't even know I, I can't explain it. it would mean that i would know what's happening and i don't but i just have the sense that these things are connected and i think sometimes it's been a little challenging to live more from that place yeah. um, because that's the place I would usually call it kind of woo-woo, everything's sure. connected. And I can have problems with that or at least how the way it's used sometimes. But I find for, I'm forced with ayahuasca a lot of times to think about it because it's so holistic in that way where yeah. it's so, it is so connected to everything. Um, this, referring back to Ken Wilbur, he has that there's the transrational fallacy that we need to be careful of right so the transrational fallacy is having a transrational experience that is an experience that is not rational but clearly produced a result mm-hmm. that can happen to people and then they start thinking that anything rational 
or anything that is not rational or is transrational is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily. Right. Right. You know, so it's like when I give someone a ventiada, which is uh, for those who are out there, is when someone's having a hard time. And I go over and I sing for them and put all my attention on them during ceremony. 98% of the time it works. Mm -hmm. It helps that person. Or if I pull some energy like out of them, it doesn't always work, right? But uh, it works so much that it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. It totally transrational, doesn't make any sense. Uh, from a from a linear logical perspective, and it t- can't be. I, I suppose it could be measured. We could we could do a study. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, versus that doesn't mean that I believe I, I, I go start to follow various channelers of aliens and and uh, astral beings and believe everything they fucking say. Yeah. Right? Ken Wilber points to this. This can happen. This is the danger of the people dabbling in New Age stuff. There's nothing wrong. There's, there's some value in the New Age stuff. Yeah. And there's some bullshit. And the way you test it is, did it work? Yeah. You know? Like, oh, let me give it 10 tries. And if it comes out 70% of the time, then great. If it's less than 50% or lower, it's just some kind of bullshit. It's, it's almost like... And there's the same risk on the other side. Yes. That, that where you can just be so narrow-minded in your rationality yeah. that you can't see that the, the, the experience is bigger than that, right? Yeah. That the And so, like, I think it's kind of like trying to have guardrails on both sides so you, you don't fall. Because I think all of us tend to be inclined one way or the other, sure. right? I tend to be inclined on the rationality side. Yeah. I've never been convinced of rationality being the answer for everything or that it could explain everything that there's always been some skepticism of like, okay, there's, there's some limits to this and yeah. what's useful for it. Yeah. But I, I fall more on that side, but I definitely find it. I think that that is one of the things that's, that is challenging. And I think I'm glad you brought that up with ayahuasca is like, it's clearly trans rational, but that doesn't suggest throwing away rationality. Right. I think it suggests understanding and getting a clear picture of when it's appropriate, but also submitting to things that I can't understand and recognizing it's bigger than than what I can think yeah. about it. And that's a really, that can be a hard path to walk straight in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of, I, I feel it's part of uh, the job of the facilitator is to watch out for that transrational fallacy. Hmm. You know, if someone who's in, been married for 10 years and, and, comes out of ceremony saying, ayahuasca told me to divorce my wife. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, no, no, hold on. Is that <laughs> ayahuasca or is that ayahuasca pushing stuff up to the surface to be released uh, and looked at? Mm. And so there's things like that. And so in situations, we always tell people, wait at least two weeks, if not three weeks, before you make any major life decisions, changing jobs, changing relationship, da, da, da. having new relationships, uh, romantic relationships. Also, you know, there's a danger with ayahuasca of kind of messianic, oh, my God, I'm, I'm Jesus. You know, yeah. that's the extreme. That's always the examples. I'm Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, that's messianic. I'm Jesus Christ. 
it's not messianic, and this is coming from a beautiful quote from Ram Dass. It's not messianic when you say, I'm Jesus Christ and so are you, mm-hmm. and everyone else. Um, or I am the, you know, whatever, the, the Christ. Yeah. And I, sorry, Christians out there, if I'm butchering the usage of, yeah. it's not, not in vain, it's just an example. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I feel like this is a great moment to talk about your role and mm. your I, I, I kind of, it's, it's amusing to me to think of it as a job because sometimes we'll be like, <laughs> sometimes the next day or you'll be in ceremony or, or uh, d- during integration circle, you'll recount something you did, you did that night that, per, that was part of your facilitator role. And, and you're like, well, I did it because it, it's my job. And I'm like, well, that's a strange job. Uh, so I think. And at the same time, I have immense respect for how hard the oh, work can be. And it's. Like, serious work yeah i mean it's obvious when we're in ceremony and we see what you guys are doing it's obvious that it's a job like that there that there is work involved yeah it's there's no doubt to that i think there are two titles that well we've been calling you our shaman between the two of us and when we talk on the podcast I know you have a few things or like you don't necessarily resonate with that word too much yeah I, I, i wouldn't if i met someone I don't go to bars anymore, but in that in that <laughs> stereotypical um, stereotypical situation of meeting someone at a bar or maybe a party or something, and someone asked me what I do, mm. I would not reply, Sean. What and would you say? I would say I generally start I tiptoe around a little bit. I'd be like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I do. We we lead retreats or we run retreats, and then the, then the next question is, Oh, what kind of retreats? And Depending on how I feel, meditation retreats, or sometimes I go ayahuasca. Mm. Um, it just depends on how the conversation has gone thus far, what kind of vibe I'm picking off the person. Yeah, I don't. We don't walk like when we first moved here to Guatemala. We did not walk around talking about ayahuasca with everyone we ran into. Yes. We wait to get to know them. Uh, even though, yeah, here in Guatemala, ayahuasca, uh, there, there are no laws around ayahuasca. So is it, just, is it mainly an identity thing for you? Do you feel like there's too much baggage to the word shaman? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a shaman, yeah, if we were to look at it, the epistemology of it, it comes from, I think it's Siberia. Uh, and the, the shaman was someone who could kind of straddle, uh, go back and forth between this physical world and uh, the spiritual or ecstatic state world with or without the use of mm-hmm. um, a plant medicine. So it's, it's just, it's not, you know, in South America, it's a new word. It's not Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. So in our, in the mestizo world, which is Spanish-based versus the indigenous will have their own terminology, but they would say curandero, which means healer. And they would also say, my teacher would introduce himself as a medico, medico, which Uh, is like doctor. mm. Um, You know, at the same time, my teacher was like, yeah, our work with ayahuasca is like a religion. It's a religion. Mm. Um, So kind of circling back to that, the healing is connected with Mm. the spiritual or religious aspects. Mm. Uh, Mm. You want to use that word? So you don't, so, so yeah, so there, you, you seem, the word you seem to use the most is facilitator. I know there's another word, which is maestro, but you don't use that one very often. Although I think that's the title that was given to you by your teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And so facilitator is this nice, neutral, we're just holding this space for you. Um, it doesn't 
it, it kind of helps with that being put on a pedestal mm-hmm. thing that can happen. Yeah, I mean, it's yes, we we so if we we walk around saying, oh, maestro, which means master. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of misunderstandings with that. Um, so we yes, we have put in years and years of training and have had years and years of experience. So in this one capacity, we have some, a skill set. Mm-hmm. And but that does not make me better than you, mm-hmm. right? Ultimately, so. That term master, I mean, geez. It's, 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 it, yeah, it's yeah. very loaded. Especially, I'm yeah. sure it's probably less loaded in the language in right. Peru, but in, 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 in English, master, okay, yeah, that's, that's yeah. heavy. Yes, heavy. heavy. Um, from, from, it can be heavy from a dominant standpoint, but also from a skill set standpoint. And mm-hmm. it often moves into, you, there's a lot of association with guru kind of thing going on there. So, um, yeah, linguistically, though, you go down, like in Peru or in Latin America. I don't know. Most of my experiences uh, with Peru uh, in regards to this word. And that is you can be a maestro carpenter or you, know, mm-hmm. you can be a master carpenter. You can be a master cook. You could be a master um, I don't know, whatever skill there is. Um, the other thing as it relates to plant medicine, you have so many different lineages and different traditions that they're going to have, just like I like to use the martial arts analogy, a black belt in Taekwondo is not the same as a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not the same as a black belt in Aikido. They're going to all take very different amounts of time to get to that level of mastery. But at the same time, general society will hear black belt and go, whoa, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I come from a background in martial arts and, yeah, I've definitely been like a green belt and gone up against a black belt in a different style and kicked their ass. Mm-hmm. And when we spark. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's like, what are you? <laughs> it's all relative. It's, it, it is. And so for, and then another level of linguistics, I suppose, um, so much linguistics, is training. So like my teacher, he is a maestro ayahuasquero. So he's a master of ayahuasca. He's a maestro Valero. He's a, ma- a master of working with the trees, tree medicine. He's a maestro sananguero. He's a master of working with this specific plant called sanango. He's a maestro vegetalista. So he's a master of working with the small plants. He's not a maestro or he'll use tobacco, but I don't think he would. He's never, I've never heard him call himself a maestro tobacero or mm. never even heard him say he was a tobacero. So he has this broad range of skill sets that he's a that he's achieved a certain level of mastery. Myself, I I've only really had my training in ayahuasca and trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely some plants, but I wouldn't call myself a vegetalista. I call myself a ayahuasquero and a, a palero and and um, yeah, mm. I, I stop it there. Yeah. So in some lineages, you would need to be. Well, what we would call a maestro at all of those things before you are a maestro. Mm. So it gets into Got this it. this yeah. whole, and then there's there's a huge amount of <sighs> shit throwing, shit talking that happens in the jungle between coranderos and, and 
you know, that guy's not a maestro. He's no good. Oh, no, no, he's great. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, so there's a lot of competition, envy, and, and jealousy that happens in that, in that scene down in the jungle. And then, yeah, and then you have, you know, people like Curanderos in, in uh, Colombia, the Cofan, which they don't even do dieta, mm. right? And their process to become what they would call maestro is significantly longer than in the jungle. So, mm. uh, or I mean, in the jungle, in Peru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're both jungle. Okay, so let's, so let's stick with facilitator yeah. for now. And I just wonder if you could describe for the listener. We, we've seen you on the job, so we, yeah. get, we at least have a visual of what you do, but we, I don't know what you internally how it happens ah. for you. And I don't know if you could describe what, what you consider your job to be as a facilitator in ceremony. And yeah, probably in ceremony is the most relevant part. Yeah, Jess came up with something that I liked. Uh, she's we we are professional prayers. We pray for people, and there's this whole idea of holding space, which is a very oftentimes considered woo-woo word. Well, I think people who think it's woo-woo don't quite understand mm. what that means. So, holding space from our definition is we're going into distinct container which is ceremony, where we have very specific rules that we sit out so that it's a safe place mm. that through ayahuasca, we can experience unlived experiences that need to be lived, which can also be determined as karma in a safe place. That is, traumas come to the surface to, with the facilitator being there, making sure that it not only is physically safe, but also emotionally safe without any judgment and a shit ton of compassion and understanding such that that stuff can release and be through that release be healed mm. in terms of what we are actively doing is not much as little as possible mm. um and what that means is uh, as humans and i think particularly as westerners we see a problem we try to go fix it and that does not allow That attitude and that sort of kind of interference it doesn't apply in this context of ayahuasca and holding space. It's it, uh, quite the opposite. We are opening ourselves up to let the, the medicine, that is, or the spirit of the medicine, uh, ayahuasca and or the other trees and plants we work with, come through, tell us what to sing, when to sing it, And that's a delivery mechanism for the, the appropriate song that will carry the appropriate medicine and let it do its job. Mm. And that includes God or the divine. Yeah. And get the fuck out of our way as much as possible. And this is why the training uh, is so extensive with ayahuasca because there's that tendency, particularly in the first few years, to try to do things rather than not do anything mm -hmm. um, and the more we try to impose our will yeah there might be an <clears throat> outcome a positive outcome but you're creating it's, it's creating karma whereas if you just let 
the spirit of the medicine or the divine work through you, then you're off the hook on the karma end. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, I think Buddha talked about how karma is, you know, you have good karma, bad karma, and then you want to get to where you're not having any karma. Yeah. And so that a similar idea with, with, with medicine work is, um, imposing one's will on the divine is not cool because the divine is doing it. Right? Mm. God is doing everything. And we need to step back and let that happen. Um, it's not to say that the divine won't tell us to go do something. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but we start, you know, it, it's getting out of the way. So uh, this is where our practices, meditation practices, both Jess and I, come into play in ceremony such that when we, we're not really thinking or trying to do anything but rather we are being done mm. there's a few things that come to mind the first one which is a quote that I absolutely adore which is don't just do something stand there mm. like I've heard that quote in the Zen a, yeah, world it's, a Zen and proverb. Just, it, it's fascinating how we are not very skilled at doing that in the west it's yeah. just not we're programmed to do the other thing just don't don't just stand there do something no. well maybe not and i feel like there are two things i want to bring up is when seeing you both you and jess work in the ceremony space i feel like there is a really it's really awe-inspiring just how empty containers you try to be mm -hmm. and it's it's just vessels and channels and conduit for the medicine to speak through you mm -hmm. it's really come i've i witnessed it very intensely during this last mini retreat we did it was obvious that it wasn't you guys mm -hmm. that to some extent it was you but it wasn't mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. which wasn't so obvious on the first retreat i remember on the first retreat thinking like wow like wanting to put you Zach on a pedestal and Jess on a pedestal. And so I can only glimpse at the amount of work that is required, both as far as training, but then as ongoing practices to continue to keep that container clean and empty and being a conduit. I think this, this is where I see most of the work. Like, I feel like that's where most of the work lies and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I see is the amount of work and training that you've done has allowed you to go through pretty much all their like a lot of the variations of the human experience and the kind of like emotional experiences mm. we can have not the you know you if you've never been raped you don't know what that feels like but if you if you have connected to sheer terror and and being completely blocked and like there's ways to connect to the underlying emotional mm -hmm. um, and physical reactions. I feel like because you've experienced so much of it and you know the pain, you can almost hold space even better and hold the compassion better because I don't know. I feel like I I don't want to go tell my really dark story to someone who's never been in touch with their own darkness mm. and who's never had to sit in the in the well, yeah, you know, just and like think positive. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, so don't worry about it. You know, I, I want. I feel like something. The way I think about compassion a lot of the time is the ability to go sit in the dark with someone mm -hmm. and not try to 
change it. Yeah. And so, yeah, those are the, the things that came up for me. And if yeah. you have anything to add. Yeah. As to having direct experience of the full range of emotions, and uh, I don't know. Yes. I mean, there's a part of, there's a, I think there's a certain amount of that kind of a baseline and there's always more to be had. <laughs> uh, um, maybe Buddha and Christ have, and that's why they were so wonderful at what they did. Um, but I'm by no means not, yeah, not yeah. there yet. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, this again, it, it comes to that experience and training of recognizing that, not doing anything as as often. So and we do a lot of study. We we look at a lot of different teachers and listen to a lot of different teachers, Christian, Buddhist, various uh, Kashmir Shaivism, uh, which is a non-dual, uh, some, some yogic or Vedantic stuff, indigenous stuff. I, I you know Lakota Sioux. I've got some experience, direct experience there. Anyway, so we 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 really keep try to keep that as a reminder and one of the big things that particularly on the, the Buddhist side and Thich Nhat Hanh said it wonderfully he says you know people come to me with problems all the time and I have found that just being there for them is the most powerful mm-hmm. and letting because the healing is not done by the quote unquote healer it's done by the person who's being healed and it's providing that support and un non-judgmental, unconditional love provides the space for the knots to become untangled. Mm. Um, if we try to get in there and you know, sometimes we can fix things, but more often than, it's, it's more powerful and more, I think it sticks when someone comes to their own conclusion, mm. whether it be from a, a physical healing standpoint, but more, and we see it, we'll, we'll Jess and I have talked about this, we'll be like, I used to, when I first started this quote-unquote career back in the jungle, I'd see a pattern that someone's doing and try to tell them about it. Okay, but we didn't, that didn't, as time went on, I learned that, no, just let the medicine show what's up and we'll, we can kind of energetically go, okay, I've noticed this, I know this, I hope they figure this out, kind of wishing well, Mm -hmm. but not getting involved. And then sure enough, they say, hey, I just realized I got a d- 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 X, Y, and Z. And yes. we're like, that's ex- awesome. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. We didn't have anything. You know, all we did was provide that that uh, kind of silent moral support. Yeah. I, it sounds like a word comes to mind for this presence, mm. right? channeling presence. Yeah. And maybe one more thing on what something you said, and one of the reasons I can see as a coach and someone who leads retreats as well. So I've had a taste of this and nowhere near what I expect. It probably gets volleyed your way is the inner strength and clarity you need to have because so much shit is being projected onto you by the people that come. Uh-huh. I, and I wonder if that has been true of your experience of like, the, from, for example, like this idea of shaman, right? Like a shaman. Um, a lot of times people come in and they have, they have these kind of projections and I think it can be intoxicating sometimes to identify with someone's projection rather than kind of be like, yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's your thing. And I, I have nothing to do with it. And I don't know if that resonates at all with you or if you've, if, if you've had to do work around that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I have yet to meet a person who has fully transcended the receiving a compliment and not feeling good about it. Yeah. And yes, it's a practice to, in itself, uh, and part of our <laughs> larger practice, um, to check and go, hey, this is, whatever's happening here is not me. Mm. Or or Jess and uh, we just happen to be blessed to have the opportunity to have gone through the training to be the vessel, and it's fucking cool to watch mm. the transformations. It, it it does get a little uncomfortable when there is some projection of or I uh, putting on a pedestal. I so we do our best to kind of keep that. And we, I think part of that is, you know, we, when before we work with somebody, we make sure to talk to them so they see what we're human. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, do our best, particular people who work with us long term. We are human. We're going to fuck up. We make mistakes. You know, we have our shadows and we need to We're We're working on them just like everyone else. Yeah. I think for me, that's really come across in the sense of humor you bring into ceremony sometimes, yeah. uh, uh, which uh, I really appreciate and that takes things down a notch sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's can be very entertaining at times. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, every solid medicine person that I've come across has had a very good sense of humor, different, different mm-hmm. expressions of it, right? And they definitely had some guys who were less approachable, but it wasn't because they were assholes. It was just because they're sh- more shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my teacher, Gumercindo Galindo, fucking hilarious guy, <laughs> super charismatic and all this stuff. But I, I would say those who take themselves too seriously are, it's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who kind of portray that they've got it all figured out, red flag, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I loved the most from our retreat back in March was the first integration circle when everyone had finished sharing, you and Jess shared. And I really didn't expect uh, that you would share. I don't think that's a common thing. In yes, I think you're right. And I didn't expect that you would share. And I think a part of me was like, I think a part of me didn't realize that you were also doing some work of your own no. on on those on those nights, and that it's not just you're not just here to be the medicine man. That it's 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 more nuanced and complex than that. And I just remember feeling like that is that was a really good reminder that you are both humans yeah. and that you you're doing that work, but you're still human. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because there, I think. Like we said, it's it's somewhat unusual. There's there's benefits. There's pros and cons to the whole situation. So yes. on the pro side, we're all the, the, we like the idea of everyone's all in it together, and we're all working. Uh, we're going through our stuff too, and there has been instances that we're we've hopefully learned to work with. <laughs> still, probably still working on is that the the boundaries are dissolved to a lot to a certain extent and that brings up issues of particularly around people who want to s- study the medicine with us mm-hmm. with us dropping those boundaries uh, for being vulnerable it sometimes creates this casualness around studying the medicine mm-hmm. that can 
can lead to people kind of discounting our experience and training and so forth. And um, what we've done to, to mitigate that is put in some, you know, we've created this training mandala where we're training people to, to, to become, if they want. I mean, it, it's not a requirement to, to finish the whole thing, but the path to becoming a facilitator. Mm-hmm. And we've laid out very specific boundaries and tasks and, and passages and so forth, um, rites of passage, of course. Yeah. Um, to, because we, that's the downside of this, is that, that, that we become very close. Uh, it's a very intimate experience, and then it's sometimes hard to kind of say, hold, hold on, you're kind of stepping over a line here, um, whatever that may be. Whereas other facilitators kind of, from my understanding, keep a distance, mm-hmm. which helps with that boundary. But also there isn't, you can't go as, I feel like you're not going as deep yeah. um, either. So it's kind of like this really interesting dance we play. And some people may disagree with our with our approach, mm. but who knows. Well, um, it's time to wrap up this conversation. Before we go, so first off, we're talking again next week. Yeah. So there's a there's a part two to this. So don't worry, listener, if you want to hear more. But in the meantime, if people want to find you, where can they go? Yeah. So our retreat website for the ayahuasca retreats that we put on in Guatemala is pretty simple. You have to know how to spell ayahuasca. But it's ayahuascafamily.com. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that... What we're June of 2020 and Guatemala is under lockdown because of the COVID crisis. We're going to be looking at 2021 in terms of offering retreats here in Guatemala. That said, we do have uh, another project that we're working on. I think you talked to Jess about it already, yes. which is the combo Heal Your Tribe. And so we're going to be doing some trainings and, and combo sessions up in the United States with Combo. And you can find us there at healyourtribe.com or info at healyourtribe.com as a way to, to get it's a great way to, if one is interested in plant medicines, combo is a great preparation and an amazing energetic cleaner in itself. So that's going to be our focus for the next year. So we're, we're giving the ayahuasca retreats a bit of a break, but uh, we will be in your, maybe in your neighborhood in the United, if you're in the United States. If they're in your neighborhood and you find any, if you have interest in doing this, I could not recommend doing it with La Familia or with Zach and Jess yes. more. You two have been, you you two are amazing facilitators. You really help kind of, there's such a learning process mm. working with you two. Mm. And the space you hold is absolutely beautiful and mind-blowing. If for, when, when you experience it for the first time, it's, it's out of this world. Mm. <laughs> it's really, really incredible. So if you have any call to this and you have the opportunity to work with Zach and Jess. Either I, combo or I Yeah, either one. Actually, <laughs> yeah, either, either one. Either one, yes. Absolutely do it. Absolutely do it. You will, you will not regret it. I promise you that. And if you do not know how to spell ayahuasca, you you probably know how to spell podcast.com. You can go there on our show notes. We will list uh, where you can find Zach and Jess for both combo and for there are other retreats. Yep. And yeah, we uh, when we come out of this COVID situation, we may be expanding to other areas like Costa Rica, maybe Mexico, 
you know, places that we can be very, we can be open about our work and not, not worry about it. Uh, mm. So speaking of, if you're interested in learning about the legalities of doing ayahuasca work, head on over to our Patreon page. We are doing our interview, mini interview with you, Zach, mm -hmm. about the legalities of that. So you can find that at patreon.com slash the far out couple and have access to that for as low as $3 a month. And as a way to wrap up, Zach, you have offered to sing a little ikero. Sing a little ikero. It's a, it's a slow one. <sighs> Lullaby. <clears throat> Limpia, limpia cuerpo y cito. Limpia, limpia es un bonito. Limpia, limpia es un titito. Limpia, limpia es un Cielo, cielo, ayahuasca, alta y monta y troncoicito, punta y monta y cogochito, plosita y oloro. Rilla, rilla, reverbea, pura, pura medicina, claro, claro, despejado, mundo y mundo. Sentidito, limpia, limpia, chunguni. Poderosa medicina, poderoso y carone. Poderosa medicina, poderoso y carone. Bolaring, monga, todo mal. Todo pensamiento, todo, todo cruzamiento. Ay, nay, 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 Cubre, cubre cuerpo y cito, pura, pura medicina. Cuida, ringue, cuida, monge, sin ninguna aflicción. Alarimo, alarimo, pura, pura medicina. Alarimo, alarimo, pura, pura medicina. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. See you next week. Yeah. Wow, thank you so much for listening. That was a doozy. <laughs> we know you love the ayahuasca conversation. I find this topic endlessly fascinating. Amazing. And to talk about it with such a knowledgeable, inspiring person. Wow. What a privilege. Yeah. We're so happy we could bring this conversation to you. If you're interested in hearing more, we've released, as I said before, we released on Patreon 
a conversation about the legalities of doing ayahuasca work throughout the world, but we also talk about... It's basically an extension. It's just so a bonus. if you'd like to know a little bit more of the how-to, the logistics, yes. and just like thinking about this stuff, check that out. It's on patreon.com slash... Far out couple. Mm-hmm. You can have access to that bonus conversation and a ton of other kind of bonus material that we've put out over the last few months for as low as $3 a month, and you get to support the podcast. And I'll say here, you don't even have to want to have access to our content to support us on Patreon. You can also support us on Patreon just because you love us and you love the podcast. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> Two other ways you can support us, non-financially in this case, is one, you can share this episode with a friend. If you know someone who'd be interested, mm-hmm. please share it. Start Spread a conversation. Spread it far and wide. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing you can do is you can leave us a review over at iTunes. This helps us get found by new people. Uh-huh. Feed the algorithm. Yeah. And we find that we're pretty sticky. Once they find us, they stay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you next week for another conversation with Zach. Toodles. Toodles. It's true.